Hello, and welcome to Deep Spirituality, where we are focused on understanding the spiritual in everything, while learning to walk with God like we never have before. This is part two of a three-part series titled Coming Home. So if you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to that episode before continuing with this one. And make sure to head over to deepspirituality.net for more content on this series. As a bonus, stick around at the end of the episode to listen to Russ's talk he had at a recent event where he dove in more specifically on some of the topics discussed in today's episode. And as a double bonus, there will also be a short slide deck on those points from the talk on the post at deepspirituality.net. So make sure to head over to our website to check it out. And now we'll pick up where Russ, Cameron, Parker, and David left off on their conversation about what it means to walk with God and our Coming Home series, Part 2. We're going to talk about uh, a term that I introduced uh, while we were taking the break uh, that David Traver got us started on when he talked about behavior and how easy it is to get into the rules. Um, And a term that I learned from my wife that really applied to me when I first started going to church, I didn't know it applied to me, but really applied to me was extreme behavior modification. Do any of you guys want to take a guess at what that means? I know I didn't tell you, but you want to take a guess? What what does that what does it feel like it means? It feels like it means that you <clears throat> changed a lot of things in your life on the outside and, and you did a lot of things differently. Uh I'm thinking like going to church and, you know, singing songs and, and being a good Christian boy. <laughs> but but really you were a diabolical man still on the oh inside. Oh boy. Getting a little close <laughs> to home right there. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, um I think I mean I can relate. So I think that's uh I think changing behavior, extreme behavior modification is, yeah, okay. changing right. that, right. not changing You guys want to jump inside. in on that? Anyway? Yeah, I think that, is it called a marionette doll, like the one that you move the limbs and I all that? I think it is. The wooden one? Ooh. I think one of those. Like you you're just pulled to, that right out, man. That's yeah, weird. so yeah. smooth. Oh, <laughs> marionette. But yeah, no, it's, uh, I think one of those, like, you know, you're trying to move the limbs and you're, you're trying to force it to basically take on this very specific type of posture and you can basically make it whatever you want to do. You can get to move it around. I want you to remember that because you're really, you're really right on. Got any thoughts, Parker? Well, the thing I thought it was just like, like fake or like hypocritical repentance. It okay. Think that. Wow, you're dropping repentance on us. <laughs> Sorry, church. I should word. ask you what that word means. <laughs> don't. Uh, <laughs> don't. 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 Don't do it. So let me tell you a little story, and we're trying to learn how to do the podcast right. So I don't want to over talk the story, but I think it's an important story for you to understand what, how I came to the concept of coming home. I was going to give a talk that was supposed to be called From Now On uh, from the song of The Greatest Showman. And as I worked on it, one of the lyrics that stood out to me that continually was repeated, but I had missed it. I probably listened to the song about 100 to 150 times before I gave this talk. And it's it hit me like two days before I gave the talk that he was saying, I'll come home again. And somehow after watching the movie, watching the clip, listening to Hugh Jackman sing it at, a, at his green light uh, rehearsal, on YouTube, and then listening to it over and over again, I, I just never heard it until like two days before, and the whole point of the song was he was going to come home again. He wasn't going to get caught up in the attention that he was getting or the praise or the fame that he realized that was worthless and that he had to come home again. And I just, it made me change the, the title of the talk I was going to give from From Now On to Coming Home because I, I started thinking, I go, you know, that's something that I had to do in my life and have to do continually is come home that I've learned to value my marriage and my kids and my home as the great gift, the great victory from God, not the attention, not the praise. And I was so wrapped up in that before. So let me take you back uh, to when I became a Christian. I'd been a Christian a short time, and church was very hard for me. I really didn't like church. I really, I did not go. I considered myself an agnostic at best. Uh, when I got to college, we were in a in a dorm room discussion with a bunch of my friends, and someone asked this question, you know how you do in a college you get all philosophical and deep. <laughs> oh, yeah. and oh, my gosh. Don't yeah. You. And so someone said in the middle of it, hey, does anyone in here believe in God? Or, and, 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 and I don't even remember anybody's answer. What I remember is being stressed out <laughs> because I was like, I don't know what I'm going to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I don't know what they all think right. yeah. and what I'm supposed to say. And so I said, I'm an agnostic. Hmm. And that's somebody who knows that there's something but isn't sure if the something is God. Uh, And that was really true of me. Uh, My religion was politics. I wanted to go into politics. And I think part of the reason we're seeing a lot of problems in America today is a lot of people have made politics their religion. It's really easy to do. Um, And so I I went on, I became a Christian, 
And um, I, I, I met, I, I really struggled because I, I felt like I was in a foreign world to be going to church, like singing songs other than the Bee Gees and Michael Jackson was not something I did. And they stood and sang songs <laughs> in church. Did any of you ever feel uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. that people sing songs in yes. church? And they're, still they're not sometimes. they're not popular songs. <laughs> like old songs. Yeah, yeah really old. Like really old. Yeah, I mean like real crispy old. I looked at one <laughs> time one, one of the sing songs we sang, sing I looked song. it up and it was like it had a Wikipedia page from like the Civil War or something like yeah, hundred yeah. years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And, and, and there are people like, that are probably gonna hate on us because we're even talking about these <laughs> things. But I'm like I'm this is the eighties. Right. And I'm in there going, Sheesh, man, you guys gotta drop some better stuff. Because <laughs> I'm listening I'm I'm listening to a guy named Rick James. And my favorite, and he, you know, and, and and a guy named Bootsy, you know, Bootsy Collins. Like I'm listening to these people, and and uh, and so I'm I'm going to church, and they're 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 singing songs. I can't sing Hallelujah to the Lord, and I'm like, and it was all a cappella. The church I went to, it was all a cappella. You couldn't use instruments. They believed huh. it was a sin to use instruments with the music. Oh sure. Yeah, there was some evolution in that change, but it was like a. And I, I, I'm not. I know there's people out there that think that, but I'm like, hey. I w- that was not helping me out. And so I was really uncomfortable, but I knew this was true. And so the second semester after I became a Christian in my sophomore year, a guy moved to town named Scott Green, a friend. He, became, he and I became best friends. And he figured out somehow that I was really struggling with culture change, not the truth, but the culture change. And so he and I started hanging out. He's a really philosophical guy, and he read a lot of the stuff I read. I was really into, as I mentioned earlier, Russian literature and all these things. Philosophy, Nietzsche. I was really, and I think I said, I think, I think the name's pronounced differently, but I, in college I always called him Nietzsche, so I'll stick with that. Um, and we were in the library one time and studying, uh, allegedly uh, studying. <laughs> I've been there. And uh, you've been there? Yeah. Yep. Uh, that, that, that's where I like to stay, allegedly. And he had his schedule book open. You know, everybody buys a schedule book. Oh, do they still do that now? Every, Some people, people really organize. They get a planner. Okay. They get a planner. Probably buy on their one, phone. but then never use it. Right? Yeah. Well, we used them. <laughs> we used them. We used them. I didn't follow them. Oh. Okay. I'd write it out and wouldn't do it. <laughs> but so I, I'm sitting in the library next to him, and he has this planner out. It was this, this really modern, popular planner at the time. This is all paper people, not smartphones. We didn't have any smart. We didn't have dumb phones. We didn't have any any mobile phone. Please. We had a, a rotary phone. It's tragic. Um, it's tragic. <laughs> it was, man. Trust me, school is easy if you have a smartphone and a laptop. So I don't understand why you guys don't have all A's every semester. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I, I was sitting next to him, and I looked over on his uh, planner, and he had, a, he had a little kind of a Post-it note thing taped to the inside of his planner. And I want to read you what it said. I, I, I made a note of it. It said, uh, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah, after he became the father of Methuselah, Elak walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. And I read it, and I never read that scripture in my life. I'd only been a Christian maybe 30 days. And I turned to him and I go, what is that? And what does that mean? He goes, what do you mean? I go, what is walking with God? And then he began to explain it to me. And I was a Christian, and no one had ever explained to me what walking with God was. I actually became a Christian during a, a church prayer and fasting seminar. Hmm. But I never captured the idea that this whole thing was about, pr- uh, the primary thing was about relationship with God. I saw that I wasn't a Christian. I saw that I'd done a lot of sins. I saw all that. And only when I had this conversation with my friend, he turned to me and goes, well, let me explain to you. And that was the beginning of me coming home. It would take me decades before I would really get an understanding of it. I would teach people, lead people, make a tremendous number of mistakes, pointing people to myself, pointing people to other people. I remember one moment in my early life where we were at a college event and everybody was sharing things from scriptures and their thoughts. And I stood up and shared about the guy, one of the guys in the room. And I go, you're the most awesome guy I've ever met. And you really changed my life. And I went on and on about this guy. To the Now I look back on it and I go, my focus wasn't on a God at all. Hmm. It was on the people. Hmm. And I fear that many people who end up in church get wrapped up in the people. 
Right. And when you get wrapped up in the people, what can sometimes happen is you start to have extreme behavior modification. Right. So I was a very worldly, unspiritual guy. I was coming out of selfish ambition, drive for self, achieve, wanted to be a millionaire by 28, run for political office, secretary of state, hopefully, and maybe even president. I had all yeah. these things mapped out. I, I would read U.S. News and World Report. What do you have to be ready to do to go into politics in the late 80s, the 90s? I, I, I like was a strategic mapper out of life. And so when I came to church, I was like, this is nothing like I've learned. They say pride is bad. I learned pride is good. Right. And so I was going through all these things, and I, and I didn't understand it. It was freaking me out, and it was stressing me out. It was stressing me out because every day I made mistakes. I felt like every day I sinned. And if it hadn't been for that conversation with Scott, I would have never really understood I think God was planting seeds in my heart to go, Russ, the point is not to be modified in your behavior. And so I made a lot of mistakes and since so what people did is they started, you know, they kind of started pounding on me a bit, which I needed it, to get my behavior under control. Mm-hmm. And so very rarely was mm-hmm. I addressed with my heart. Like, what's your motive? Why do you do what you do? Mm-hmm. There was a focus on we got to get this guy cleaned up and get him to act right. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people undergo not behavior modification in church, but they undergo extreme behavior modification because we focus on how someone blew it instead of finding out what's going on in their heart. And Scott Green changed my life by letting God plant a seed in my heart. This is not about rules. It's not about performance. It's really about developing the most awesome, emotionally intense relationship with God where you're more focused on how he feels about you than how anybody else feels about you. And from that power your life is transformed instead of modified. Just interrupt me. You can go for it. No, no, I, I was just fixing this thing. I wasn't <laughs> no, no. That's like auction. You raised your hand. So. <laughs> and I, I talked a long time, so now you have to say something. I'm on the clock. Say whatever you think. What uh, do you think? Well, did why, I, why, did did he, you, why, why did he have it in his, in his thing? Because you, you just asked about the walk with God, but why? He said I, the reason I have it in here is because, because of the walk. this is the most important thing to do. Hmm. The, Scott was unique among my friends is that he was very clear, and he passed away a month ago and um and i you know at his funeral and what the one thing they sang a song at the funeral was one of the old songs Mm -hmm. but it was about (laughs) relationship with god Mm -hmm. and i remember tears coming in my eyes because i thought this is what he believed Mm -hmm. he believed at the core of christianity remember we had arguments with people and there were people who were like john 15 is a scripture about being fruitful right you got to be fruitful help you become christians and scott taught me to argue no john 15 is about relationships Mm -hmm. And if your relationship with God and people are right, it's going to influence people around you. And there's always this tension in this debate between us and some other people because they'd be like, no, you got to be. And we'd be like, no, no, no. It's like a tree. You plant it. Fruit is the byproduct of a healthy tree. Hmm. The healthy tree's not out there going, man, I haven't born any fruit. I got to get on this, man. I got to get on this. <laughs> yeah. Tree's just taking in the water, getting right. the sap, staying right. together with the branches. So. He was really he had it in there to remind himself of that. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Well, nice. the walking with God thing I think is important just in light of what we're talking about with just this um I guess the first question you posed but also this coming home uh and that concept for me because it makes me think about how far I can get caught up in like that scripture we looked at with Martha yeah. just all these little things, all these little details and really the most important thing is walking with God and, and what is that? What does that mean? And I, I think I'm still struggling to figure out what it means as I'm hearing you talk. I'm like, to me, it think, I think about it the, like as like a, like I, I picture me walking on the beach with somebody or, you know, walking yeah, with somebody yeah. and I think about like a, a comfortability. It does remind me of home, like this comfortable, or you were talking about our walks. Like if it, it's like something that you can let down and it's, it's a, it's like a, it's a friendship and it's a relationship like that. And I think, uh, and I don't usually see God that way. And I, and I think I'm still having a hard time seeing him in a way that's that comfortable thing where it's just, I'm let down. It's home. Like to me that I'm like, man, Enoch, man, like I, I'm like, I can't even compare to Enoch. I'm like he, he obviously had that relationship with God cause God took him home. Does it, yeah. does it, does it, does it sound attractive to you though? You're saying yeah. I can't, that conversational friendship, relationship yeah. sound attractive definitely yeah yeah I, I you know that, that's what i want for sure right what do you think you look you, you look like you're thinking something over there dave just let it go on the mic yeah well Don't you forget, know we can go edit, off david we can, edit, we can off, make david. a mistake we can <laughs> okay it out. great awesome well first thing i'm thinking of honestly is a talk i had last night with my my neighbor yeah um 
this isn't I don't know if it's gonna flow perfectly, Doesn't but basically what happened was um, you know, he was he's going through a rough time right now and uh it was it was just interesting because I I invited him over. I said, "Hey, why don't you come on over to our apartment? We're we're all playing a video game together, but you can come and talk with us while we're playing." And um, he just came over and yeah, we were just hanging out. But like, um, you know, like what was I thought was really interesting was like he was just he was just going. He was just talking. You can tell yeah. he really needed to talk. Yeah. And uh, you know, Parker was there obviously, and he. Um, this guy was uh, he at the end of it. I I walked him all the way back to his house, which is the door next to us, right? <laughs> As I, I'll walk you home. Go go out the door. Two feet over, one foot over, he's there. And I just tell him, hey, dude, um, I, I felt like it was on my conscience, um, perhaps out of, you know, whether it was religious duty or because I was actually, you know, really felt like he needed it, was like, I want to invite him to church. And it was like, this is a guy who was really looking for relationships. He's, you know, in a rough patch right now. Yeah. yeah. And um, I didn't know how to do it, right? Because I think for me, for a long time, I felt like it's like this big moment when you invite someone to something, right? Yeah. Growing up, from high school or even yeah. middle school, like to come to a devotional, right? Right. It's a very big moment. And like in high school, I can count on like probably one hand how many times I invite people because I was so petrified of what yeah. they'd say. But I just think about my neighbor and how that moment when we were out on, the, on that porch right there um, in between our apartments. And it was just really organic because for him, we weren't talking about anything spiritual necessarily maybe yeah. i shouldn't say we weren't talking about god yeah but we were talking about relationships so yeah. maybe it is somewhat spiritual and i think that just that talk last night it just reminds me that even for people again people who aren't interested in god or i asked him about his beliefs and yeah. he says i'm not i'm an atheist i don't yeah. believe in a god uh because i'm a history major and if uh, i look at history and how could there be a god when all this happens yeah when people do these things how can you let people do this yeah um, and then I asked him a little bit more. Um, I forget exactly what. And then he switched somewhere to I'm actually agnostic because he said that's when you believe in something, right? Spiritual. And I said, yeah. He's like, I guess you believe in something more than just what you see. He's yeah. like, I guess I'm agnostic then. And I said, okay, that's. I I want to talk more, but he had to go. Let me, but... let me just let me just pick on a thing you said that was really cool. Yeah. Because I don't know if you noticed if you noticed it. Um, and you're making you know a great point about um compassion so you've been working on your relationship with god i know that because we've been talking <laughs> yeah and that's how a relationship with god is it sneaks up on you <laughs> and the next thing you know what happened in that moment with that guy is you stop being a, a church goer you stop being a christian you stop being someone with the goal you stop being with someone with the motive of hey i need to go out and share right. my faith with other people mm-hmm. yeah and you became a human being who because of your relationship with god and and because i think you've been talking about I think a greater awareness of God's compassion and forgiveness of you mm-hmm. and how you're seeing the importance of that. Right. You feeling all that overflowing him. That's Galatians 5:22 where it talks about the fruits of the spirit. Hmm. And I would argue that John 15 when he's saying abide in Christ you'll bear much fruit. Some of that fruit is the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, gentleness, kindness, gentle, you know, self-control, all these things. Mm-hmm. I think what happened to you and it may have you you were surprised by the discovery of what it means to walk with God. Hmm. If you'll notice on the little thing, I pulled it up while you were talking because Cameron was saying, what does it mean to walk with God? I came up with five principles that I talked about, had presented in my talk the other day. One is perception, soul awareness. That's your personal awareness of where you are with God. Your The soul cries out for God. The soul's what makes you hunger for God. If you're not soul aware, you might end up going out and buying a bunch of stuff to try to make yourself happy. Then the second one is heart awareness. You become more aware emotionally because you're connected to God. Then belief awareness, conviction, you know what you believe. And then this fourth one, I think, is where you landed, uh, David, is intention, which is motive awareness, right? Hmm. You, you started to get an intention toward that guy that was born out of growing in your perception, your emotion, your conviction. Make it simple. The closer you get to God, the more you love people. Hmm. Right. And what surprised you, and I'm not saying it surprised you that you didn't know it. What you can realize at this moment is it your your efforts to b- build a better relationship with God have had an impact on you. Right. Yeah. And it, like you said, it was it was pretty much out of nowhere. I think it. I wasn't planning uh, necessarily to. Like I said, I had this pressure in my head of I need to invite him to church. Yeah. I want him. I want to invite him, but I don't know how. Right. Yeah. And this has been such a anxiety-inducing thing for a long time for me to how do I bring up something that someone doesn't even believe in? How do I get them 
for a long time get them to come to church, right? right. Which is like you're saying, like it's a very behavioral thing to do. And it's a rule. Right, yeah. And it's hard because when you have an agenda, it's hard to be organic when you have an agenda and you're trying Absolutely. to drive it somewhere, but you're trying to be authentic or seem authentic when yeah. really there's something going on the whole time, right? And they can't figure it out. Um, but I think that's just really interesting. I'll have to think more about it, but yes. I appreciate your thoughts. Well, I think that the, the, the reason I put together the five is because I think a lot of people think, okay, the only one that matters is the fifth one, which is action, the behavior. They think, okay, I need to go out. Like, I think evangelism is hard for every Christian yeah. because they don't want to get rejected, et cetera, et cetera. But I think right. a lot of people go straight to the action. Right. Okay, I'm not supposed to steal. Let me yep. not steal. And they, through willpower, try to do it. But I actually, in my personal experience, I had to develop perception and then get emotionally connected to God, then get a faith that really was strongly rooted in God, then get the right motive. Motive was my problem right. a lot. Hmm. And that all produces the action. Extreme behavior modification is when in church someone's going, okay, here's the five rules you got to follow, Cameron. Yeah. And I'm going to make sure you follow them. And when you don't follow them, I'm going to remind you. And if not only am I going to, I'm going to punish you. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's, why do you think people start with, behavior though because i'm trying to think about that like it's just easier i guess absolutely absolutely it's easier to figure out because if i have to think about i'm going to speak from my own experience when i first started going to church spirituality was so hard i was like okay i had a phone call i called up a guy who was you know kind of my teacher mentor guy and i'd heard a sermon on being motivated by the cross of christ I sat through the sermon and I felt like I, I don't feel that. The guy was like, you should be motivated to do X, Y, and Z because you love Jesus and he died on the cross for you. And you should feel when you take communion, you should, you know, be moved emotionally. And I was like, uh, none of the above. <laughs> and I got home to my dorm room and I called up my friend. I said, hey, I'm a little concerned about myself because I don't feel any of those things that guy's talking about. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, you know, not everybody feels that every day and that you know, you're not always going to feel that. And. And the key is that you just do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's wrong. Right. Yeah. You don't want to be in a position where you don't have an emotional connection to God. Right. Will there be days where you won't feel it as passionately as others? Sure. But you don't want your Christian life to be that. And I think that that's my biggest concern. People will go through what I went through. And I'm not blaming anybody. I think right. it was you said what makes people focus on behavior. It's easier. I went in and I was okay. I can learn how to do song. I can learn how to sing. I can learn how to. Uh, I can learn the order of the books of the Bible. I can I can memorize some scripture. Those were all easy. But if you said, be gentle, yeah. I'm like, what in the, what? <laughs> How? Where's the steps? Right. And those are things that happen because you're, you experience the gentleness of God in your own life. I was harsh until I experienced the gentleness of God in my own life. And then I went, oh, yeah. That's what that is. That's not a written thing that you can explain like a two, three step process. It's like that's that just comes from a relationship with God. And the struggle of moving. And I hope I'm not boring people moving from the right place. Your soul. Psalm 42 is basically a, a cry from the psalmist to have his soul. His soul is crying out. Right. I thirst for you. Your physical body only thirsts for God when your soul does, and right. you've got to be soul alive. And so a lot of people don't want to deal with, okay, where's my perception? Where's my emotion? Where's my conviction? Where's my attention? They just want to be like, okay, and that's what you were doing, David. You grew up in the church. You're going, okay, I know I'm supposed to invite people to church, mm-hmm. so let me go out there and be miserable and do it, <laughs> right? And, right? And so because we're starting with the action. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. And we don't really believe hmm. that if we start with perception, emotion, conviction, and attention, we will get to action. And that means it's like, you know, it's like getting in shape physically. You're a nutritionist. Right. And you know about that. It's like a lot of people are like, I want to lose 40 pounds. Yeah. Tell me what I do. Yeah. <laughs> they, they want me to tell them what to do, but they, yeah, they don't want to do the, that hard work or that hard work of, you know, really figuring out, I don't know. Cause there is a process for that. And I think people want the, yeah, the behavior really quick, but it, it doesn't. So see, you understand it. Yeah. And what I did is I started with action. Right. I was like, I don't want to think about all the other stuff. Yeah. Man. Parker, you look like you're biting it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you you think want to jump on it. <laughs> I think something I've been realizing lately is like, um, cause that's something I've been seeing that I do a lot is I just go to action. But what, that, what happens is there's no like power and you can't, you're not influential at all and you're not able to help anyone. Like there's a guy that 
um, we're trying to help out, like, just get to know God and get to, like, have a relationship with him. But, um, like, I was realizing the other day as I was praying, I was like, I just went out to walk and and I was like, I felt like I was really connected and like really walking with God. And, like, doesn't happen a lot because I, I just, yeah, I mess up a lot. But um, I was like, man, I, these are the prayers I need to have with him. Like, this is what, like, I, I was like really inspired. And the first time I was really inspired about um, trying to help this person because I felt like so like much like like talks about in the first uh, like Philippians 2 it talks about like any comfort from his love like mm-hmm. I felt all that stuff and I was so excited to cool. share that but yeah just realizing I mean just now and, and the other day like when I just go to action like there's no like you're not able to help anyone and it feels like this guy that I've been like friends with like we're, like he's stuck and I don't know how to help him but I could just try to do the action go and have quiet times with him go and try to do bible studies or do different stuff but nothing's going to change if I'm not like if that if the action comes from something else which are these those other four steps like if if I'm not at that stuff then I can have no influence I can't really help anyone because right. it's just not it's not impactful it's not motivational how did you get yourself to a point where you could sort of go beyond just the rudimentary have a quiet time follow the rules and get to that do you can you give somebody out there tips like how did you do that because it sounds so cool how you you got yourself there yeah in order to get there i think focusing on which was the title of the event we just went purpose um focusing on my purpose and thinking about like this specifically with this guy i'm trying to help i was like um like i've seen a lot in my own life as i talked about earlier when i kind of didn't try to have a relationship with God at all, just did whatever I wanted to do, seeing how much that hurt and different people in my life that have made those same decisions and seeing that this is the road that this person's like going down. And I really don't want that to happen. Like seeing the pain of that and seeing the, just like how sad it is to live life without a relationship with God. Like I think of um, that scripture in Matthew 13. Uh, I don't know what that is. I'm not going to reference that. What is Um, it? Reference it. Tell us what uh, it is. like a, Jesus is saying, like, my my uh, my burden is easy to bear, and my like Matthew eleven, yeah, Matthew eleven thir- uh, thirty something, probably twenty eight, twenty eight. But I could be wrong. Um, but you got it. Yeah, but realizing like that scripture is hard for me because I think at first, like when I first read that, I'm like, no, it's not like like I could focus on the what, like focus on the rules. Like it's so hard to be a, a Christian, like because you have to do all these different things. You have church every day, and there's like so much to do. But if you think about it, like like a life, like the life doing that stuff and act like actually being able to walk with God and have a relationship with God is so much easier than doing all that alone. And I think once I got to that realization of like, man, this is the like life I'm living. If, if I don't have this relationship walk with God, um, and seeing that and all these other people in my family and, and this person I'm trying to study Bible with, like that, like that motivates me so much. And that's what makes me want to, um, go out and actually walk with God, not just read my Bible and pray, but to connect and like get inside and just talk to him and like have a friend. Like, um, that's what makes the difference is like focusing on purpose and, um, Hmm. just focusing on why I'm here. Like, I think even the, going back to the Genesis five scripture, um, and thinking about like, um, like it says at the end, uh, one day he disappeared because God took him like, that means like he took him because like his job there was done. So that means before that there, like he had, he had like work to do. Yeah. Like he, he was there for a reason. It wasn't just, um, Oh, I'll let him live another 300 years just, just cause he <laughs> <laughs> likes the views or I don't know. I never <laughs> saw that, but that's a great yeah. point. <laughs> um, like, like thinking about like, yeah, just like why we're here and like I'm alive and there's a reason. So yeah. like, you want to know what, you know, it, it was really, you, you said so many good things. And, and just so you know, there's a scripture that talks about, we were talking about in first John chapter five, where it talks about my commands are not hard or too much of a burden yeah. for you. Yeah. It's because he goes on later to say that obedience for God is love. Right. The reason the burden of the rules is not hard is you don't follow the rules. Hmm. You love God. Yeah. You have a girlfriend. I don't think it's probably hard for you to prepare for your date. I don't think it's probably, I don't think you probably sit there and go, oh gosh, I gotta go gig a date and make sure it's great <laughs> and encourage her and what a burden. Why? Not because, you know, taking her out to Fisherman's Wharf like you're going to this Saturday and spending $150 on the meal. You know, <laughs> it's not because it's expensive. You're gonna do that. I know you're gonna do that and you're gonna promise her right now you're gonna do that. <laughs> uh, 
No, you do it because you 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 have a relationship of love mm-hmm. for the person. Yeah. I think a lot of people listening wonder, well, why do, why do Christians evangelize or reach out and share their faith? Yeah. Well, sometimes they do it out of duty. Mm-hmm. But if it's done right, it, it doesn't even occur to you yeah. that I have a duty to do anything. Yeah. It's like you or David. You just sit there and you go, I want this person to have what I have. I want them to be un, uh, 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 relieved of that burden. Let me ask you this question. Is it, is it easier to obey the commandments of God and tell the truth, or is it easier to get on drugs to feel good? I just think that that the burden of not having a relationship with God is far greater. Yeah. That's what Jesus is yeah. saying. Yeah. He's going is it, is is it is it a burden to stay married to your wife and raise your children and not worry about fame, or is it a burden to get the fame and lose your wife or children? That's what Jesus he's saying. He's juxtaposing outcomes, mm-hmm. right. and he's mm-hmm. saying that no, no. Doing the little junk I've asked you to, all I'm asking you to do is not go out and commit adultery, not go out and get immorality, don't spend your nights getting drunk. That's all yeah. I'm asking you to yeah. do. Right. And that's a lot easier than what a lot of people out there are doing right now. And what it is, a lot of people are, are anesthetizing themselves to the pain of their life. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And they don't realize that that pain is taken away by that friend you described. First John 5, it's because of love. Mm-hmm. Right. And you guys are starting to grow. And I had to really grow on this because love was not my big deal. You guys are starting to grow in that area of love. Now, this is where I know you're thinking about this, Cameron. This is where that extreme behavior modification right. comes from. See, I received a lot of the direction I got as a Christian as extreme behavior modification hmm. because my behavior was very much from the secular world. And what I've learned in my many decades is that the place to start with a person like me is on the interior. Right. Because all you're going to do is. It's going to be like that wineskin story. You guys know about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going to be pouring new wine, me, into the behavior of the old wineskin. And I did. I just kept exploding until one day. I, I remember I was sitting in, in Boston. In, 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 well, I was actually in Cambridge. I was sitting in Cambridge under a tree. And I, I was like, man, I keep exploding. And I, and I remember I was praying to God. I was like, I'm so frustrated. I'm so tired have you ever been just tired of being yeah, a christian yeah. i'm like this is i'm just so exhausted and then it came to me and i'm not saying god spoke to me that i'm not crazy um but then it came to me i was like the the only time my life gets messed up is when i start focusing a lot more on what people think about me than what god thinks about me and i made a decision that day that from now on no matter what the cost i was going to make god the central focus of my life in church. I wasn't going to worry about what leaders thought about me. I wasn't going to worry about what people thought about me. I was going to be like, I'm done because I don't want to keep crashing like this. And that was the second part of my jump. Scott Green was the first point. That Cambridge sitting under a tree was the second point. And on that day, David, you know what I think happened to me? I began to get freed from extreme behavior modification. Hmm. And there were people who thought, what's wrong with him? He, He doesn't listen like he used to listen. He doesn't follow the instructions like he used to follow the instructions. But what it was is it was freedom, not freedom from being committed to the word of God, but freedom from thinking my purpose on this earth was to um, 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 do only what people were telling me to do right. and modify my behavior appropriately to make people happy. Yeah. Right. In, in 1991, my son Jonathan was born. Mm-hmm. And um, prior to his birth, I would read his, this, this passage, Genesis 5, about Enoch all the time. Because I didn't actually think I was doing all that great spiritual. I was leading the church, but I didn't think I was doing all that great spiritual. And um, I looked at the word 65. Because it said he spent 65 years before the 300 years walking with God. Hmm. And I said to God, it's interesting that Enoch changed when he had a child. And I decided that once Jonathan was born, he was my first. Gail was my first. I was not going to ever allow myself to not walk with God again. Hmm. And I made that marker in my, in my life and in my time. And I think that is part of what people have to do. And that was the journey for me, perception, emotion, conviction, intention to action. I'm still trying to grow in it, but that's what we're talking about. We're going to come to our third section after we take another break. I'm drinking a Starbucks green tea. So we want to thank Starbucks for the green (laughs) tea that I actually paid for. So they're not really an advertiser. And I probably hate that I'm mentioning them. We don't want to be connected with you guys. You're no good. But anyway, we'll take a break. We'll see you in a few minutes. And we're going to give you some pointers on how to get started on a great quiet time. Thank you for listening to the show. Make sure to head on over to deepspirituality.net for more content 
and make sure to subscribe. Leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. And as promised, the bonus content at the end of the episode. We'll see you next time. My concern for us is that a lot of us in here, we have a lot going on on the outside, but there's not enough going on on the inside. And something's going to happen to us one day that's going to take our breath away and we're going to lose all of our faith because we don't have much. We need a better relationship with God that starts to deal with radical self-awareness. Do I know, do I have any idea of what a soul is? Do I have any idea what belief is? Do I have any idea where I'm at emotionally? It's not okay to keep going faster. It's not okay to go, well, we had one baby, let's have another baby. Well, I got this job, let me get another job. Well, I traveled to Paris, now let me go to the Soviet Russia. You know, it, it, a lot of us, that's what we do. We run around, we're like, hey, I can't, I missed the, where's the brunch? You gotta have the brunch. Hey, I gotta see the, let me get the basket. I gotta ride the train. I gotta go to Scott's class, and I go to Freddie's class, and then I gotta, oh, meet, meet me in the coffee shop. We're just moving so fast, and God is back there going, surrender, be silent, be still, stop striving. And we're like, shh. I do it. Do you do it? You know you do it. Let's just all get in here together. And I'm saying, none of our dreams are going to come true. We don't make dreams come true. Speeches like this don't make dreams come true. What makes stuff come true is when you get involved in a relationship with God that starts to lay bare the inner workings of your soul. When you start to become unafraid to be transparent, unafraid to be vulnerable, you say, I am far less concerned about what people think about my sin and far more concerned about what my sin is doing in my soul. That's what it means to walk with God, and that's where we have to go. It's not about making more money or making better plans or drawing them up. Becoming soul conscious, soul awareness. 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So often in my life, I saw my sin only as my personal failure and something to be embarrassed about. And what I've come to learn is that I need to be a lot less concerned about failure and a lot less concerned about what other people think about my sin and a lot more concerned about the war against my soul. Because what I've learned reading my Bible is it is your soul that takes the hit. I don't even think we think about that, but that's what I want you to start thinking about. I want you and me to start thinking about not what is, you know, Roger going to think about my sin or not what is Rosie going to think about my sin, but what in the world is happening to my soul. My concern for some of us tonight is we've never developed soul awareness. I'm guilty of it. I spent the first 10 or 15 years of my life not being soul aware, not realizing that some of the depression some of the discouragement and some of the disillusionment was the pounding of sin on my soul to make it shrivel up and wither inside of me so that there is no soul power anymore. There's no soul awareness anymore. I can't see anything spiritually because I've just crushed my soul. My soul can't feed me. My soul can't guide me. And you get your Bible open and check it out. The soul is a vital part of our life, and we live in a world that's so secular, it puts it down. But for many of you, when you see somebody lose the light in their eyes, that's what their soul is wilted beneath so much hidden sin, so many lies, so much bitterness. How many of us, our marriage is like nothing like it used to be. It used to be so happy, so vibrant, so encouraging, and it's lost its vibrancy. It's not that you've lost the romance. It's that your souls have shriveled up, that too much bitterness, too much hate, too much greed, too much envy has choked your soul, and it can't give you spiritual thoughts anymore. It can't give you spiritual hunger anymore. It's the soul that wants God. It's not your mind. It's not your heart. It's the soul that cries out, Abba, Father. It's the soul that you yearns and wants to be close to God. It's the soul that meets God again. If you crush it down, you'll lose your desire to read the Bible. You'll lose your desire to pray. You'll lose your desire to go to church. It's not that you're bored. It's that the sin has shriveled up your soul. We need to be soul conscious and we need to work hard at keeping our soul alive. Developing a spiritual heartbeat, developing a spiritual heartbeat, heart awareness, in Acts 13, 20, it says, I've searched the land and found this David, son of Jesse. He's a man whose heart beats to my heart. A man who will do what I tell him. You know, a few people that are important to all of us 
have passed away, or many of us anyway. And some people even in our fellowship are sick now, and, you know, they may be facing death. And it's sad, emotionally, to consider life without people that, I know for me, that I've spent years around looking at, that have encouraged me, that have guided me. Uh, Christy Bodziak, who, you know, her mother passed away not that long ago, and I spent my 20s in her kitchen eating her food. And our first major argument between Gail and I, it was really less of an argument, more me just being confused. <laughs> that was back when you didn't have a smartphone or a cell phone, you used a payphone. Anybody remember payphone? So Gail and I got in it, we were in an airport, and I didn't know what to do. Any husbands ever get there, you're like, I didn't have much of an arsenal anyway, and I used all three tools that are in it. So I grabbed my, remember when, it, when a phone call was 25 cents? I grabbed a quarter, I popped it in the phone, popped a couple more quarters in the phone, and I called, I called Al, I was calling uh, Christy's dad, and Gloria answered the phone, and I said, is Al there? You know how when you're panicked, and you, you just see your marriage going down, and you know everybody's going to blame you. What, 90% of the time it's the guy's fault, either complete total unawareness or complete total unawareness. <laughs> A lot of guys don't like that perspective, but, you know, Adam should have stopped Eve and said, should we eat this? Adam's been dropping the ball ever since. I said, Gloria, we're really having this tango thing going on, man. I don't know what to do. You know, Gail's acting this way, and I don't know what to do with it. She goes, Russ, the number one thing I want to teach you here on the phone, I've never forgotten it. Marriage is an adventure. So you're going to be all tense about it, and you're going to be all stressed about it. It's not going to work. You've got to treat it like it's an adventure. Everything you go through is an adventure. You know, Gloria is gone because just like Enoch, God looks out and says, I want that person. And if God hasn't called you home, he wants you down here doing something. And he wants you doing something with him. But he wants you to look at those people. And anybody who's facing that where someone's sick, remember, Enoch's get called home. But when they get called home, those of us who are left behind are meant to do something special with our life. We're meant to find our purpose. Enoch, Gloria, people like that, they had a heart that beats with God. Do you know what that means? Have you ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire? It's one of my favorites. It's an old one. And in the movie, Eric Little, a track runner, has a line that he says. He was a runner. He was really fast, an Olympian. He says, when I run, they said, you should stop running. You should just focus on church. He goes, I can't do that because when I run, I feel God's pleasure. I wonder how many of us have lost that heartbeat with God. Remember when you used to, remember when you used to feel like, man, God gave me that idea. Remember that? Remember that? Remember that? I see some of you out there. You're like, yeah, man, I was going to go to Mozambique. Okay, careful, careful. (laughs) That was a dream you had after too much melatonin. Um, But you know what I'm saying? You had that dream. And I think we can get that. I think we want to wake up every day and go, is my heart beating with God's? Are we on the same rhythm? And that's where that joy and that happiness comes from and that clarity. We need to become heart aware, having one holy passion, belief awareness. Look at this, Jeremiah 30, 21, I use the New American Standard. Their leader shall be one of them and their rulers shall come forth from their midst and I will bring him near and he shall approach me for who would dare to risk his life to approach me, declares the Lord. I started reading this in 1985 because I was doing so terrible spiritually. And the reason I read it is because I was afraid to confess sin. And when I read this passage and I read it said you have to risk your life, you know what I decided? That I needed to be willing to risk my reputation. I need to be willing to risk my position. If I loved God, I would confess any sin anywhere to anybody. And I said, until I get that kind of courage, I don't have a great relationship with God. A great relationship with God is where you fear no man's judgment. You fear no woman's judgment. You just go, you know, I am what I am. And if you don't think I'm worthy to lead, if you don't think I'm worthy to be your friend, I'm fine with that because I'm at peace with God. As the old woman said in the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King told her, hey, you don't have to ride in. You don't have to walk anymore. Why don't you ride the bus? This is almost over. She said, Dr. King, I'm going to keep walking because my feet may be tired, but my soul is rested. See, there are a lot of us sitting here who our soul is not rested. 
That's what it means when you get to kind of belief awareness, where you know what you believe, when you have that true one holy passion, you're playing for one audience, and that is God, choosing we instead of me, motive awareness. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. Boy. Some of you know Christian, Christian Traforio. And Christian and I got to know each other, and then life kind of imploded for him. He was in his 20s. I don't know, I can raise my hand. Can some of you remember being in your 20s and imploding? Remember that? Those of you who are mature? I'm, and, and I know, it's, I'm, I'm in my 50s and I'm still imploding. But, but I, I got a hold of Christian. I said, hey, Christian, why don't you come over to Silicon Valley? I mean, you know, you, you kind of hit rock bottom here. And why don't you start on over? And I said, I think you got some talent and you got some skills. I said, I think you could even potentially, you know, get an autism certificate, maybe become somebody who finds that purpose because you're really good with kids that have unique needs and you're pretty gentle. And I think you just got worked up and anxious and kind of dropped your relationship with God, overwhelmed by college. And I said, you know what? I blew so many things in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. I want to get ahead of it. Um, I, I go, I, I just don't condemn people. I'll challenge you, but I don't condemn. I feel no need to go, you're a bad boy. You know, I'm like, I, I, what's the point of that? I just want to move you in the right direction. And so he moved on over and was going to get his certificate. And he's one of the first guys that began to walk with me and Jordan. And we go on these walks and talk about everything. I tell him all the stories from my life and all the ways I messed up and had no God in my life and learned how to preach really good sermons without having a good relationship with God. That's why I never judge myself by my sermons. I could care less because the only thing that indicates whether I'm doing well is what happens between me and God, not how well I do this job when I'm up here. Who knows what's... Sometimes God just wants a good sermon, so it's going to be delivered by whoever's up there. And we went on all these walks... And, you know, I was really impressed by Krishan, and he began to grow in his life. And that's what it means to walk together with one harmonious purpose. I'm going to just say one thing, because I don't want to spend, again, we're going to do five podcasts on this. We'll release articles on this. We're going to do a lot of stuff on this in the coming, coming months. But here's my heartfelt concern for a lot of us. There are too many of us in here who say we have a great relationship with God, but have people that we won't talk to or don't love in this room. Walk together in one harmonious purpose. You know, one thing I've noticed about really religious people, they're hypocrites, not because they do say things they don't do, but they hide the truth about who they are. And once you start hiding the truth of who you are, the only way to keep from having to reflect and look at those things inside of you is to find someone on the outside you can really be angry with. There are too many angry people in this room. It's just not. Nah, John, it's not good. And I want to just give you a moment right now to reflect on. Is that what God wants you to do? Now, I just want to give you a moment. All that bitterness and all that angst and all those judgments and all the gossip you listen to about whoever you listen to about it, all the ways you get irritated, all the ways you're getting mad. As Dr. Phil said, you know, like, what are you getting out of this that you keep doing this? I think we are unlimited as a fellowship if we walk together with one harmonious purpose. And I think if you've got anybody in this room or outside of this room that you're hating. No. Don't go talk to them and tell them how much you hate them. (laughs) I love these people who quote Matthew. Well, Matthew 18 says you got to go to your brother and you got to... You know what? That's like the one scripture in the whole cotton-picking Bible that says you got to go to the brother and tell him he sinned. That's like the one script. What about the scripture that says, when you pray, if you hold anything against anybody, forgive them. It doesn't say go find them. It says, if you want me to listen, you better let it go. You better let it. And see, not enough of you excited about that. You bitter brother. You black bitter brother. You white bitter brother. You bitter, jealous, envious sister. We need to deal with this junk. 
too many angry people. Look, we got angry presidents, cabinet members, senators, congressmen. I can't even watch TV anymore. I don't want to have to stop coming to church. We got to let, and that motive awareness, get your motive right. What should our goal be? To walk together harmoniously. Social awareness is the final one, living God's purpose. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. I love Paul. He goes, I'm not there. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I've run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. Oh, man, these words, they're like medicine to my soul. If no one else has told you this, I want to be the one to tell you this. You're important. No, you're really important. God found you. You may be sitting there and go, you don't understand. I've got a serious emotional health issue, and on Monday I could be great, and on Tuesday I could be a bear to live with. Yeah, but your emotional health challenge is important to us because there are millions of people in America and in the world in the Bay Area that have those same kind of health problems, and we've got to figure out how do we help them be a part of the family of God. You're important. You're saying, i got a disability. I can't move. I can't walk. I can't think like I used to think because of this accident. I'm not doing so well after the birth of my kid. I lost my job, and they told me that I'm unqualified, and they would never want to have me back. Sometimes you got to know when not to listen to people. And sometimes you got to know when not to listen to the world. You're important. I don't care what your uncle said. I don't care what dad said. I don't care what mama said. I don't care what coach said. Who in the cotton-picking world knows where those bitter people are now anyway? But what I can tell you is you're here because God brought you here because you matter, and you need to stop thinking, I'm worthless. I spend time praying sometimes, and I go, God, I feel unworthy, inadequate, and incapable. When I was younger, I used to think, I feel worthy, extraordinary, and super delicious. Now I just wake up every morning and I'm like, man, I I can't believe people listen to me. I can't, I'm just not, I'm not that great. And when I look and I see what God does, the person, the one person out of the audience that comes up and says, you know, today you spoke to my heart and it really helped me. That's all I need to know my life is worthwhile. Just one person. You know what? You can help one person. You don't need to speak to some big group. Just makes you tired and exhausted and feel guilty for all the mistakes you make and what you say. That's all you end up doing. I'm going to say it again because I think some of you think about ending your life. You matter. And guess what? All my you matter statements are not from me because I don't even know you. That's exactly how God feels about you. And God wants you to come home. God wants you to come home. He wants you to come home to an extraordinary relationship with God. 